it's October 27, 2021 in Hawaii over the internet reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 4, Chapter 28 Paranjana Becomes a Woman in the Next Life Text 54 Hamsa vaham chatvam charya Sakayo manasayano Sahasra Parivatsaran Two swans. Two swans. And Twam. You. Cha. Also. Arya. Arya. Oh, great soul. Sakayo. Sakayo. Friends. Friends. Manasa Ayanao. Together in the Manasa Lake. Together in the Manasa Lake. Adbutam. Became. Antara. Separated. Va. Indeed. Okaha. From the original home. Sahasra. Thousands. Padi. Successively. Vatsaran. Years. Years. Muted. Srila Prabhupada's translation. This is the Brahmana talking to the uh, widowed Vidarbi. My dear gentle friend, both you and I are exactly like two swans. We live together in the same heart, which is just like the Manasa Lake. Although we have been living together for many thousands of years, we are still far away from our original home. So this Brahmana is actually the super soul in disguise. And the widowed uh, Vaidarbi, the widowed queen, is uh, she actually is the disciple, and the dead king is the guru. Srila Prabhupada's purport. The original home of the living entity and the supreme personality of Godhead is the spiritual world. In the spiritual world, both the Lord and the living entities live together very peacefully. Since the living entity remains engaged in the service of the Lord, 
They both share a blissful life in the spiritual world. However, when the living entity wants to enjoy himself, he falls down into the material world. Even while he is in that position, the Lord remains with him as a super soul, his intimate friend. Because of his forgetfulness, the living entity does not know that the Supreme Lord is accompanying him as a super soul. In this way, the living entity remains conditioned each and every millennium. Although the Lord follows him as a friend, the living entity, because of forgetful material existence, does not recognize him. Hamsavaham chatvam charya sakayao manasayanao adbhutam antaravoka sahasra parivatsaram. So here we have over and over again the dual. Sanskrit has singular, plural, and also dual. So the owl at the end is the dual. So hamsao, two swans, sakao, two friends. My dear gentle friend, both you and I are exactly like two swans. We live together in the same heart, which is just like the Manasa Lake. Although we have been living together for many thousands of years, we are still far away from our original home. So, this verse is the fruit of being a faithful servant of one's guru. Being a faithful disciple is one gets the to see the Lord face to face. And the Lord reminds the faithful disciple of their eternal relationship. So this verse is, uh, there's a lot of, one could say, controversy associated with this verse. Uh, Ridhainanda Maharaj uses this verse as one of his main Shastra Pramanas for the concept of the fall of the jiva from the spiritual world. And uh, I'm not going to directly uh, touch on that, but we're going to look at the relationship between the Lord and the living entity because it, it's just so heartwarming here. I feel like here, Bhagavad Gita 5.29, where Krishna says, Suradam Sarvabhutanam, I am the friend of all living entities, is... It's kind of expanded and, and deepened here. You know, we're all, we all want to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. You know? Who doesn't want to be loved? In fact, a lot of what we do in life, a lot, probably a lot more than we realize or will admit, is to say, Am I loved? I'm lovable. Please love me. <laughs> Am I loved? Am I loved? <laughs> you know, we sometimes ask in perhaps not such a nice way. But that's often what we're doing. You know, am I loved? I mean, uh, the other night when I was at my granddaughter's house, the three-and-a-half-year-old, he'd done something he wasn't supposed to do. I can't remember what it was. And so... Uh, she said, you know, you have to go go stand in a, in a timeout. So then he came back, and he said, I'm sorry. And then he said, can I have a hug? <laughs> so why is he saying that? He wants to make sure his mother still loves him, that she puts him in a timeout, but she still loves him. Am I loved? Am I loved? And again, we all do this. So much of what motivates our actions, our words. I mean, 
You could try to paying attention to it for a day. You know, how much of what I think, what I say, what I do is just, am I loved, am I loved, am I loved? <laughs> By somebody. You know, hopefully, hopefully somebody loves me. Hopefully at least, you know, my mother loves me. <laughs> I was talking to my youngest son the other day and I said, you're such a handsome man. He says, well, you are my mother. <laughs> but at least our mother, or they say a face only a mother could love. At least our mother loves us, you know. Some people are so unfortunate, especially in Kali Yuga, huh, that even their mother doesn't love them. Even their father doesn't love them. Right? It's such a problem at the present time that your parents may not love you. So many people have problematic relations with their parents. Your spouse doesn't love you. You know, so many people, they, they think they're marrying someone who loves them and then the person cheats them and leaves them, deserts them. So our spouse may not love us. Our children may not love us. They may turn on us. Our country may not love us. <laughs> but that's what we're looking for. Am I loved? And sometimes we're kind of screaming, I'm lovable, I'm lovable, please love me. But the real love we're looking for is not from our mother, our father, our spouse, our children, our friends, you know, our country, our, our religious society. We're, we're looking for is God. We're looking for Krishna. That's the love we want. That's the only love that's going to satisfy us. You know, I give the example all the time that, you know, in our phone, right, my phone has a little battery, and it's a pretty good battery, actually. Phone's, I don't know, how many years old, it's many years old, and the battery still lasts pretty much a whole day. So, you know, it, it'll power the phone, but it's not going to power my computer, and it certainly isn't going to power a building. It just can't. So we little jivas, we're very small, one ten thousandth the tip of a hair. We're tiny, tiny. Even if I love some somebody else with all my heart and soul, like we say, I love you to the moon and back. <laughs> but I'm very small. I'm like a little phone battery. How much can I love you? Even if I love you with everything I have. It's, it's not enough. We want unlimited love. We want to be loved unlimitedly. And another jiva can't do that. They just can't. I can't love someone else unlimitedly. I really can't love you to the moon and back. It's too far. I'm too small. Yeah? But I want to be loved unlimitedly. That's what I want. And I want to be loved unconditionally. I guarantee you that everyone who loves me loves me conditionally. They may say otherwise, but it's not true. There's something I could do or something I could say that would break the relationship. Yeah? And we, we've experienced that. Again, we've experienced that people who say, yes, I love you no matter what, uh, they don't mean it. And we do something, we say something they don't like. It may even be something they misunderstood. And then all of a sudden, we're their enemies. Yeah? And it just... <laughs> It happens. The whole battle of Kurukshetra was family becoming enemies. Why should they become enemies? Why should Dhritarashtra have become the enemy of his brother's children? Why? For temporary mundane power and prestige? But he did. 
So this is the, the problem. Yes? So we want to be loved unconditionally. Krishna loves us unconditionally. So let's see, uh, let's look at here how the Lord is speaking to the living entity and then uh, what he is saying. But first let's see how he's speaking. You know, I, I often like to talk about the five austerities of speech. Speech should be truthful, beneficial, the message should be pleasing, the language should be not agitating, and it should be based on the Vedas. And here we find this in this verse, Krishna is fulfilling all of these in this beautiful way. What he's saying is so pleasing, but not only is the content pleasing, the language. So what is he calling the living being? Arya. Of course, it's particularly interesting that in this fable, in this metaphor, the living being is ostensibly a woman, a queen, who in her last life was a karmi, in the Vedic sense of the term. And Arya means a very high-class person. You know, the Nazis tried to capture this word, their art, and say that they were Aryans. <laughs> uh, here, Prabhupada, in the word for word, it says, O great soul. And in the translation, my dear gentle friend, just like Prabhupada would sometimes say, ladies and gentlemen. Yes? Ladies and gentlemen, or gentle women and gentlemen. It's, it's interesting. My granddaughter, when she's training her boys to behave, she'll often use the word gentle. Like if they're going to look at a book, she says, you have to be very gentle. If you're going to touch a plant, you have to be very gentle. You have to be a gentle man. <laughs> a gentle man. So Arya means a, a gentleman or a gentlewoman. Somebody who's, who's high class. Someone who's not crude. Someone who's refined. Someone who's very noble. Not in the sense of a birth line necessarily, but in the sense of character. Someone who has very high character. In those um, Indian videos of the Mahabharata, they, they often the women would address their husband, Aryaputra, oh son of the noble persons. And Krishna, of course, admonishes Arjuna. He says, you're talking like someone who's not an Aryan. You're talking like someone who's not a gentleman, who's not a high-class person, an aristocratic person. Again, we mean these in, the, in a positive sense. So Arya... What, a, what an incredible way for the Lord to speak to the living entity and the fallen living entity, the conditioned living entity. Oh, great noble person. Oh, aristocratic person. Oh, sophisticated person. Oh, gentle person. Oh, well-bred person. <laughs> oh, high-class person. Arya. And he says, Hamsa, we are like swans. So the swan, of course, is one of the most beautiful creatures. They have a temper, swans, kind of like geese, especially if they're defending their nest. But they're very beautiful, graceful creatures. They one of the living beings that epitomizes beauty and grace. You know, throughout the Shastra, we have certain metaphors from nature, especially lotus flowers. 
and swans. I was thinking about lotus. Right outside where I stay here, there's a rose garden. And I was thinking, as I've thought many times before, but when I see the roses, how in Western countries, lotuses are not very common. And there's many places where we have water lilies, but we don't usually have lotuses. And they're not a flower that most people in the northern hemisphere, which is the majority of the world's population is in the northern hemisphere, uh, is, is familiar with. I mean, we're familiar with it in art, and, but it's not something that it is in our normal environment, whereas the flower that most symbolizes beauty to us in, in European American culture is the rose. The other day I passed by a florist shop and it had uh, pictures of roses. It's almost like if you go to a florist, I was thinking, okay, if you go to a florist shop, you're most likely to order roses. So there are certain plants, certain animals that epitomize or symbolize beauty and grace and purity also. And then, of course, it's not only the appearance. The lotus is praised for its, its beauty, its softness, its fragrance. And the same with the rose. We praise its beauty, its softness, and its fragrance. as in every level. So the swan is also... It's praise for its its beauty, the way it moves moves its neck, its wings, how it leaves from the water to fly, how it lands on the water, how it's flying. You know, its movements are all graceful. And uh, swans often mate for life. They also have so they have this sense of loyalty. Well, I mean, it's not absolute, but like that. And here the Lord is saying to living entity, Hamsa, we're two swans. You and I are swans together. I mean, this is also very extraordinary because we have so many places in the Shastra where the living entity is glorifying the Lord. Oh Lord, you know, your eyes are like lotuses, your feet are like lotuses, your abdomen is like a lotus, and so forth and so on. But here we have the Lord is glorifying the Jiva. Oh, noble one. Oh, gentle one. Oh, swan. We're both swans. You know, and again, to keep in mind, this is the, the fallen condition jiva the Lord is speaking to. So, you know, imagine if you, if you go to the prison and you're talking to a prisoner and you say, you know, some criminal, <laughs> oh, noble one. Oh, noble one, you and I are like swans. So, you know, the prisoner might look at you askance and like, uh-huh, <laughs> I'm not a noble one, I'm, I'm certainly not a swan. You know, Prabhupada would sometimes quote from the Shastra about the swans and the crows. How oh, the crows, they go to a... Crows eat awful, they eat, eat uh, dead bodies like vultures do, and they eat rubbish. Yes, and they don't make a very pleasant sound. It's interesting, a group of, of crows in English is called a murder. <laughs> yeah, but swans, we find them only in very clean, clear water. They, they don't live in a dirty place. Not, you're not going to find crows in a, a garbage dump. You're not going to find crows in a landfill. I mean, you're not going to find swans in a landfill. 
uh, you're going to find swans only in a, a very beautiful reservoir of water. And whereas you're going to find crows in a landfill. We used to uh, play a game with the Gurukul students called Swans and Crows as our two things. So imagine you go to a prison and you're calling the people there swans and, and you're calling them uh, noble. So it's quite extraordinary. that, And the Lord is not being facetious. He's not being sarcastic and he's not being emotionally manipulative. You know, sometimes we may call a person something better than they are in order to manipulate them in some way. I mean, the Lord does that. Like he's talking to um, Vrikasura, and he says, oh, you know, I know your father, Shakuni, and you, you, know, you come from such a great family, and you're such a great hero. And he does this with Jarasandar also, and with Bali, Vamadeva is praising Bali's family. He said, In your family, no one has failed to fulfill his promise. Right? So the Lord does this with Jarasandara. So, you know, you come from a family of great heroes, and yes, I also have to be a hero. So the Lord may sometimes, he does sometimes, uh, praise in this way to be manipulative. Uh, but here he's not. Here he's just... We're, we're swans, and we're, uh, swans are in the water. They're water birds. So we're in the, your heart. And then he's comparing the heart also, that uh, Manasa, the Manasa Lake. So this Manasa Lake is also uh, described in the third canto in relationship to Kardama Muni, where the, this lake that he's by is as clear as the mind and heart of a devotee. So the Lord is also telling the soul, your heart is beautiful. Your heart is, you are a beautiful bird. You and I are beautiful birds together. And we are in your heart, which is also a beautiful place. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, the way the Lord talked to Amoga. So Amoga was the son-in-law of Sarvabhama Bhattacharya. And we often read about how in Indian culture... When a girl would marry, she would leave her parents' home and she would live at the home of her husband's family. That's why Devaki was traveling in the chariot and Kamsa was, was driving the chariot. Uh, but sometimes, evidently, the son-in-law came to live with the wife's family. So Sarvabhama Bhattacharya and his wife had this daughter, and uh, Sachi, or Sati, I think her name was Sati, and her husband, Amoga, was living with them. He was under their protection. He was, on, he was being maintained by them. And he was always criticizing Lord Chaitanya. And so he came and criticized Lord Chaitanya. He said, just look at this sannyasi, this renunciate, he was eating so much. Now, in the one hand, Lord Chaitanya was actually <laughs> eating a lot. Uh, but the mood uh, was, was critical. I mean, it's interesting to try to, you know, figure out when the mood is critical. Like Chitraketu who was laughing at Lord Shiva, and he said, just see, Lord Shiva's the master of, of Maya, and yet he's embracing his wife on his lap while he's talking to saintly persons, like, how funny is this? And Chitraketu was, was yeah, it's explained in the purports how Chitraketu and Lord Shiva were buddies, and that Lord Shiva was, <laughs> was teasing Chitraketu 
about having left his 10 million wives and now traveling around an airplane or doing Harinam with the Vidyadhara women and <laughs> taking out the women's kirtan party and then Chitraketu was teasing Lord Shiva about having his wife on his lap and it was just friendly teasing and Parvati took it as it was an offense. She said, you've committed an offense and therefore you have to become a demon. Yes? So it's hard to always know exactly what the mood is, but uh, Saruman Bhattacharya and his wife very much took that the mood of Amoga was offensive. You know, oh, look at that thing. I mean, I don't know, something in his tone of voice. Look who has had this house and yes, he's eating. Maybe it was the fact that he was generally critical of Lord Chaitanya. I don't know. But they became so distraught that they prayed for him to die. Sorry, Bola, but Charlie's wife, she's going, let my daughter become a widow. Let Amoga die. I mean, why would you want your daughter's husband to die? You know, so she's, she's praying like that. And uh, because of that, he got very sick with cholera. And uh, Sarabhama Bhattacharya and his wife were so upset that the son-in-law who they maintained, um, had, and while they were feeding Lord Chaitanya, that the son-in-law had been so critical. So because of that, they were fasting. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu heard that Sarabhama Bhattacharya and his wife were fasting because that Amoga was sick and dying, and they were so upset about the whole thing and feeling so responsible for the whole thing. So he went to see Amoga. And he put his hand on uh, Amoga's heart and he said, you are a Brahmana. Uh, your heart is supposed to be very pure. Why have you allowed envy into your heart? And of course he purified Amoga, who then got well and apologized and everybody lived happily ever after. But the point is that Lord Chaitanya was saying to him, you know, your heart is supposed to be pure. And here the Lord is saying, to the living being, to the condition. Your heart is pure. Your heart is as pure as Manasa Lake. You and I are two beautiful gliding swans in this Manasa Lake. So that's amazing. And then he says, Sakyao, we are two friends. Now, as I said in the beginning, you know, we're always looking in this world to be loved. And hopefully all of us listening to this class have friends. Hopefully we have at least one friend. I hope we have more than one friend. But suppose God is your friend. Imagine that. I mean, I have a lot of people that I hope are my friends. <laughs> I think they're my friends. Mm, not always sure. <laughs> But I think they're my friends. But again, they're jivas. If I need them, they might not be able to be there. Or they might not want to be there. Or they might give everything and I still feel that it's not enough. Or I might give everything and they feel that it's not enough. And I have not yet met the friend who fully and completely satisfies me. Even though I have so many wonderful friends. But none of them can completely satisfy me in all respects. There's always going to be something. <clears throat> Maybe they don't live near me, I can't see them. Maybe they have a lot of other interests, I'm just one of their many interests. Maybe there are some areas that we just can't talk about because we know we really don't agree about those areas and we better just 
kind of partition them off and leave them alone. And even if it was a perfect friendship that they lived next door and I saw them every day and we really agreed about everything and we were just in sync and still they're a living entity and they're limited. But God, the perfect friend, and friend implies equality. Right? When Rupa Goswami discusses the Staibhavs, the Rati, the basic connection between the living entity and the Lord, and he discusses how in servitorship one feels to be the inferior of the Lord, in parental one feels oneself to be superior, and in friendship one has a sense of equality, that the Lord and I are equal. We see the coward boys, they tease Krishna like that. They say, oh, you're not so strong. You know, we could beat you in wrestling. <laughs> uh, you didn't really hold up Govard on Hill. It was Madhu Mungo's mantras. There's this sense of equality. Yeah? How is it the Lord is treating us like an equal? I mean, you know, we think about the friends of the Lord, whether in Vrindavan or Mathura Dwarka, the Pandavas, for example. Their friends in Dwarka or Indrapasta, uh, including Draupadi. Draupadi's a female friend. Hmm? So we think about Sakyabhav as the devotee sees the Lord as an equal. Okay. So there's a kind of yoga maya, a kind of ecstasy, where one sees the Lord as equal. But that the Lord could see us as equal? Prabhupada talks about Vatsalyabhav, and he talks about how in most religions people are worshipping the Lord as father, but the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, they aspire to be Krishna's father. They aspire to be like Nanda Maharaj, where the Lord actually says, oh, you're, you're my superior, <laughs> you know. You're my superior. But for the Lord to say, you are my equal. You are my friend. Right, when he says, Suridam Sarabhutanam, I am the friend of all living entities, we might think of it as a, a real superior friend, a benefactor kind of friend. Right? Someone who gives you stuff. That's usually how people think of the Lord, you know. Someone who provides you, probably would use the word order supplier someone who provides you with what you need, who's your benefactor, but not as your equal. But when the Lord's here talking about we are two friends, he's talking about this sense of equality, which the Lord likes. Ah, the Lord likes that. I was um, just today speaking with one of my friends uh, who lives on the other side of the planet, quite literally. And, of course, I haven't seen since the world shut down with covid and she was saying how, she said so many times when I'm around the devotees, uh, they treat me with so much reverence. She said, I'm just a person. I just want to be treated as a friend. So Krishna also feels like that. I want to be treated as a friend. I want to be treated as an equal. So it's astonishing. Though. The little living entity, what are we? We're so, so insignificant compared to Krishna and that he would see us as an equal. So Krishna is saying, Arya, you're the noble, gentle person, the great soul, the aristocratic person. And then you're Hamsa, you're a swan, you and I together are swans. And Sakya, we too, we are friends. So this is some of the beautiful ways in which the, the Brahmana, who's here as metaphorically as a super soul, is instructing the faithful disciple who metaphorically is the 
queen. So this is the mood in which the Lord is addressing this faithful disciple. And then, what is the message? We talked about austerities of speech, having language that's not agitating, and having a message being pleasing. So this language is definitely not agitating. It's such pleasing, heartwarming language. And the message is what? Uh, the message is that we've been together for a very, very long time. Sahasra parivatsaram. We've been together for many, many years. Vatsaram, sahasra, for many thousands of years. So that's again pretty interesting. We're rebellious souls, we're conditioned souls. And still, Krishna stays with us in our heart for many thousands of years. So we don't generally behave like that. If someone says bad things about me, if somebody betrays me, if somebody just doesn't want to be with me, you know... I often lose my sense of affection for them, at least after some time. But Krishna's not like that. I mean, we see with ordinary parents in this world, between ordinary parents and children, the children often still love their parents, even if their parents are alcoholics or drug addicts or whatever. And it's, it's impossible to have a much of a relationship with them. But you'll find they still have some love for them. And parents will still love children even if the children become criminals and so many things. They still love them, they still care about them. So here we see this mood of Krishna where he's saying, we've been together for thousands of years. We've been together for thousands of years. So this is, as Prabhupada says here, right? although the, the Lord follows the living entity as a friend, and these thousands of years, we're going through so many lifetimes. And they're not all human lifetimes. You know, we may have had lifetimes as, you know, really awful creatures. What is, I think it's Nortumadastak, where, you know, we have so many lifetimes where we're eating so many abominable things. You know, we could have had lifetimes as a vulture or something, you know, a maggot. <laughs> And the Lord stays with us. We just don't find that kind of loyalty in this world. You know, people glorify the dog that sits at his master's grave. But, you know, the dog is just kind of stupid. And it's thinking, if I stay here long enough, I'll get something to eat. But Krishna, he knows our real nature. He's not expecting anything from us. You know, he's just there. Because he loves us unconditionally. That doesn't mean that he approves of everything that we do. No, he doesn't. In fact, some things he may strongly disapprove of. But he never stops loving us. He never stops seeing us as a friend. He never stops seeing us as we spiritually are. Arya, Hamsa, Saka. That no matter how fallen we get, how degraded, how criminal, he always sees us 
as we ultimately are, as a spiritual being. He never sees us just simply as fallen and degraded. I have given this example many times that, uh, you know, the little child, their, their nose is running and they don't know how to take care of their runny nose, you know, like one, two years old. And so you'll see them sometimes, they wipe their nose all over. I remember seeing this one two-year-old many years ago. So his, his arms were covered with dried mucus <laughs> from wiping his nose, and his face was covered with dried mucus and his, his clothing. But his parents still loved him. I mean, they wanted to clean him up. But they still loved him. Regardless, they didn't stop loving him. And this is, you know, Krishna's saying many thousands of years, but it's, as we say, time immemorial without memory. There's one place where Prabhupada says, Krishna does, of course, remember uh, how we got materially entangled. So that's his message. His message is, He addresses us with these sweet words and then his message is, I've been with you for thousands of years. And his other message is, I want to bring you home. Ogaha, I want to bring you home. We become separated. Antara means outside. Abhuta mantra, we've gone outside. And uh, he doesn't say it directly, but it's implied, I want to bring you back home. I want to bring you back to your happy position, to your happy, peaceful position. So this unconditional love of the Lord is not just theoretical, it's practical. That he wants us to be, in, he wants us to be instated in our original position. So how foolish I am, <laughs> we condition souls that we don't turn to Krishna, that we don't love him in return, that we don't, we're hardly grateful. We hardly acknowledge him, as Prabhupada says here. Although the Lord followed him as a friend, the living entity does not recognize him. We don't recognize him. We don't, we don't see that he's there. We don't hear his voice. We don't feel his presence. There's a place where Prabhupada says, chanting Hare Krishna means you feel the presence of the Lord. Do we feel his presence? Are we aware of him? So Krishna consciousness means exactly what it says. That we become conscious of Krishna. And we become aware of him. We become aware of our relationship with him. And we become aware of how much he loves us. So questions, comments? I really liked your class. Go ahead. I really liked your class avoiding the uh, controversy. I just wanted to say that. Thanks. Sometimes, thank you for your class. Sometimes the. Uh, <coughs> 
the need for love takes the form of just wanting to be acknowledged or recognized. Um, but I think it's the same thing. It's some kind of, well, I'll use the same word, acknowledgement that we exist, we're real, and we're important enough that people care about us and will reaffirm our worth, basically. We matter to somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It matters to somebody if we if we exist or we don't exist. Yeah. I had a related question. Uh, in one of the Vedagda Madhava Prabhu's classes uh, a few years ago, when I asked the question, he said, Oh, Jai Jagadish, you're, you, you think like a Westerner. And I was thinking, yeah, well, I do. And, and so I think one... If I'm, unless I'm wrong, but one quality of Western thinking is like organizing things in nice categories and putting nice labels on everything. There's a prominent relationship or rasa with Krishna that I've never been able to put a proper label on, and that is Krishna's sons in Dwaraka. Dasya. Rupa Goswami puts them, he, he categorizes them in Dasya above. Um, and you can see this in Nectar Devotion where Prabhupada talks about the relationships of sons or subordinates. So, and I don't think it's Western thinking because uh, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and then going on to Ujwal and Nilamani are nothing but extensive analysis and categorization. Like, oh my God, analysis and categorization. So, uh, that sounds pretty Eastern to me. So, I, I think we've got plenty of analysis and categorization in, in Eastern. Uh, but, uh, when he analyzes the different stibabs, so there's neutrality, which he has three categories up, and then he has he puts in three categories, the then puts together the Dasya, Sakya, and Vatsalya, and in the Dasya he includes the sons. And you'll see that in, in Nectar Devotion, sons and other subordinates. So especially Rupa Goswami is looking at, in Dasya you see the Lord as superior, in Sakya, you see the Lord as equal. In Vatsalya, you see the Lord as inferior. You see that you're the superior. And then he, he puts uh, Madhurya in a, you know, deals with that as a separate thing. So he deals with neutrality separately. Then he deals with uh, Dasya, Sakya, and Vatsalya. And then he deals separately with, with Madhurya. But he does specifically mention about Krishna's children. Yes. Thank you. That's clear. Yeah, there's an example given in Nectar Devotion and, of course, Bhakti Rasamrita just sent you about how Krishna's son, Prajumna, you know, he's like looking down with such reverence and Krishna says, you know, you can look at your father. You don't have to be so shy. You can actually look at your father. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, because some people have uh, mixed rasa. You know, there are some who like mixed servant and friendship, say like Uddhava. So it's possible that some of the sons, some of the sons and daughters, have some friendship mixed. Also, it's possible. I don't have any particular mention of that, but I think we should just say that it is certainly a possibility. Anybody else? On the subject of, which I like very much, that 
Krishna is the only one that can really be our friend. Everything else will sort of fall short. But I think the question is sort of running through my mind. Well, what about what about the guru, especially you know the Uttamahanakari guru? We have the experience of meeting Srila Prabhupada. Um, it seems like maybe maybe that also falls in the category that someone can be, be our real friend and and fully satisfy us. Okay, let's see if I can actually find the quote uh, because Prabhupada was very clear about that. Mm. Um. We are becoming leaders, the friend of the people, but we are not friends of the people. Krishna is the friend of Surudam, Sarvabhutanam. If we simply say that, quote, I am your friend in this sense, that I deliver the message to you that Krishna is your best friend, I do not. I am friend so far, I am giving you this information. But actual friend is Krishna, Surudam Sarabhutana. So this is friendship. If one preaches Krishna consciousness and teaches everyone that, quote, Krishna is your best friend, unquote, he does not say, quote, I am your best friend, unquote. I am your best friend in this sense, that I'm giving you this information. Actually, Krishna is your best friend. What can I do? I am a teeny living entity. What can I do for you? I, I be, may become your friend, but when you are in danger, I cannot give you any protection. Krishna can give you protection. This is real friendship. He does not take himself. He carries the message only. Simply our business is to carry the message of Krishna. Then we are friend. Otherwise, we are not friend. We may pose to become friend, but we are not friend because we do not know how to benefit the friend. This was a talk given in 1972 and October 30th in Vrindavan on the Nectar Devotion. Well, that was pretty crystal clear. <laughs> Good reference. Thank, Thank you. you. Now, it is true that among the pure devotees, they certainly have a sense of friendship with each other. We think Narotamadas Thakur's song of Sri Rupa Manjari Pada, you know, Lalita and Vishaka are certainly friends, but it's always Krishna-centered. And so when there's Krishna-centered, there can be deep friendship. I mean, Madhyasoda and Nandamars, they have a relationship with each other, but it's Krishna-centered. Great, great points. Thank, Thank you. you for asking. We, we run into a serious problem if we think that even an Uttama Adhikari guru is God. When we think that even an Uttama Adhikari Guru can fulfill our emotional and spiritual needs in the way that God can. That's very dangerous. Thank you. Anybody else? I'd like to see that Guru Kula game of the swans and the crows. You still have um, a record of that? Um, it's it's probably in that old old book of Krishna conscious games. Um, I might be able to look it up. Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah, it was it was a fun it was a fun game. It was definitely a fun game. 
All right. Well, thank you very much. All glorious to Srila Prabhupada. All glorious to Srimad Bhagavatam. Chai.